This is Brian Oaks, and I'm a sales agronomist for CHS Ag Services in Erskine, Minnesota. We are pleased to bring you this update from the Red River Farm Network, CHS Ag Services, providing solutions for your success. Good morning. This is Sierra Doctor on the Red River Farm Network here with Country Morning. We're going to start out looking at some of the grain markets here. Uh, the corn market trading higher this morning after traders had some time to analyze yesterday's WASDI reports and think about the implications of the Argentine crop reductions. There was some recovery buying in the overnight trade. The outside markets were mixed with the equity markets lower, crude oil slightly firmer, and the dollar a bit weaker. The basis remains strong in most areas of the Midwest. Soybeans trading higher this morning as the trade begins to factor in the lower than expected soybean carryout and the possibility of more acreage abandonment in Argentina. The products were firmer this morning with both meal and bean oil trading a bit higher. And yesterday afternoon recap, the yesterday afternoon markets were mixed with the soybeans higher while so corn and wheat were mostly lower. Equity and crude oil markets have continued to feel the pressure of the comments from Federal Chairman Powell yesterday regarding increases in interest rates still coming. The corn market was lower and continued to get weaker as the day wore on following the WASDI report. Demand continues to be a concern to the corn market as the market is looking for buyers to step in as it weakens. May contracts closed eight and three quarter cents lower at six twenty five and a half, July eight and a half cents lower at six fourteen, and December nine lower at five fifty eight. Yesterday's WASDI report showed U.S. ending stocks at 1.34 billion bushels corn versus the 1.3 expected. Exports were reduced by 75 million bushels. And South American production showed Argentina reduced to 40 million metric tons and 47 million metric tons in February. Brazil production was unchanged at 125 million metric tons. The soybeans were mixed yesterday with a nearby contract a couple higher while the new crop contract was down a couple cents. The soybeans jumped higher post-report but started to fade off the highs as the market continued towards the close. Closes uh, May two and a quarter higher at fifteen seventeen. July one and a half higher at fifteen oh six and a quarter. November sec two lower at thirteen seventy one and a half. The products were mixed with meal two bucks lower at thirteen seventy one and a half. Um, WASDI report showed the U.S. ending stocks of soybeans at 210 million bushels versus 220 million as expected. Crush demand was down 10 million bushels. You're listening to the Red River Farm Network. Country Morning on the Red River Farm Network, taking a look at livestock markets. Between the day's WASDI report and the strong market fundamentals, the livestock markets were able to close mostly higher by yesterday's end. Most of the live cattle contracts closed higher as the market felt encouraged by the WASDI report. April live cattle closed 52 cents lower at 165.45. June live cattle 
closed at 10 cents higher at 160.65. The August live cattle closed 7 cents higher at 160.17. And some cash cattle trade could begin to develop um, today, but it wouldn't be surprising to see trade wait until tomorrow to really get underway. Asking prices in the south noted at 166 to $167, but still not yet established in the north. Wednesday's WASD report put production for 2023 increased by um, 170 million pounds. Quarterly price projections showed a bullish outlook first year prices as all four quarters of 2023 saw a price increase. Beef imports remained unchanged at 3,425 million pounds. Exports remained unchanged at 3,090 million pounds. New contract highs for feeder cattle market um, was seen by Wednesday's end. March feeders closed a buck 62 higher at 193.75. April feeders closed a buck 40 higher at 207, and May feeders closed a buck 95 higher at 206.15. And despite Wednesday's WASD report not showing much favoritism to the hog complex, there was a um, higher cash hog prices and stronger pork cutout values that led to the market um, having a higher end by the afternoon. April lean hogs closed 95 cents higher at 85.75. June lean hogs closed 20 cents higher at 127. And July lean hogs closed 7 cents higher at 102.67. Wednesday's WASD report did share disappointing news for pork production. It fell by 25 million pounds. Barrows and gilts in the first quarter were reduced by two bucks to an average of $56. Pork imports remained unchanged and exports also remained unchanged. The Texas Panhandle and Nebraska negotiated cash trade has been at a standstill. Kansas and Western Corn Belt negotiated cash trading has been mostly inactive with very light demand. Not enough purchases for a market trend and the latest established market was last week in these regions livestock purchases traded at 165 dollars nebraska dressed purchases traded at 265 dollars you're listening to the red river farm network good morning farm news on the red river farm network i'm sierra doctor and we'll also hear reports from don wick and whitney pittman a winter weather advisory is out this morning for northern South Dakota and southern North Dakota. National Weather Service Aberdeen meteor meteorologist Carrie Flegel says its path will take it through Minnesota by this afternoon. We're going to see snow moving across and spreading north and east throughout the morning hours into central and northeastern South Dakota and uh, diminishing over south-central South Dakota this afternoon. Much of the area is under winter weather advisories, definitely expecting precipitation in the form of snow to spread out into central and eastern portions of North Dakota through the morning hours today and into more of west-central and, and northwestern Minnesota during the afternoon. Widespread snow of, of two to five inches across much of the region. Flegel says the storm will span into Friday morning for parts of Minnesota. National Association of Wheat Growers President. So widespread about two to four inches across much of the region. There are some higher amounts, especially over uh, southeastern South Dakota and eastern South Dakota into the southern half of Minnesota where it's more likely to get uh, like a four to six inch snow amount with higher amounts over the eastern parts of the Siston Hills or Prairie Coteau. 
And thousands of farmers from across the country are in Florida for Commodity Classic. Corn, soybean, and wheat growers are developing policy at their meetings. Red River Farm Network farm broadcaster Don Wick has more in this update. National Association of Wheat Growers President Nicole Berg describes the farm bill as harvest season. Crop insurance certainly a priority, but Berg also wants to see an adjustment in reference prices. Oh, absolutely. It's definitely part of the discussion when a 550 reference price for wheat and a $7 break even across the country, there's quite a quite a divide between 550 and 7. So, yes, we're, we'll definitely be part of the conversation. Additional farm bill funding is also being sought for the market access program and foreign market development export promotion. We always need um, to get our, our wheat overseas, um, like being from the Pacific Northwest, 90% of our wheat goes overseas. And so foreign development and foreign markets are absolutely 100%. We're looking to double MAP and FMD funding because it's such a successful program, more people are taking a piece of the pie. And so, which is great for agriculture across the country. But what we need now is we need more money so we can keep investing into those foreign markets. Chris Hill is a national director representing Minnesota on the American Soybean Association board. For the Farm Bill, Hill says one issue is taking precedence. We'd like to have crop insurance as it is, remain that whole, that's been a very good um, system for farmers to use. Uh, it's one of those things, if it's not broke, please don't fix it. State caucus meetings dominated the agenda Wednesday afternoon. After that discussion, North Dakota Corn Growers Association President Andrew Malk said crop insurance is a priority. Anything we can do to kind of strengthen that safety net and, and protect what we already have and then to, to be able to grow that and is kind of a big goal for us, um, is, is kind of our goal down here. Trend line yield enhancements have been on the wish list, but Malk said that may be difficult to achieve. I guess another specific question we had is, you know, kind of maybe doing a, something to do with enterprise units and um, between corn silage and corn grain, you know, so that, um, you know, we can kind of do them separately. To, so if you get a bad yield on, on one, it doesn't affect your yield on the other side and different things. So um, just kind of trying to get any ideas off the, the off the wall that we can and shoot past and kind of see if it uh, goes up the flagpole a little bit. Policy will be debated today at the National Corn Grower Association delegate session, their Corn Congress, and the massive Commodity Classic trade show also opening up this morning. Our coverage from Commodity Classic made possible by Minnesota soybean farmers and the soybean checkoff. Reporting from Commodity Classic in Orlando, I'm Don Wick on the Red River Farm Network. According to yesterday's WASDE report, USDA says U.S. corn ending stocks will be 75 million bushels larger than February on lower exports and no other usage changes. USDA lowered the season average farm gate corn price 10 cents to 6.60 per bushel and soybean ending stocks are down to be 15 million bushels on better exports. You're listening to the Red River Farm Network. Farm News on the Red River Farm Network. Reporting from Florida, Red River Farm Network farm broadcaster Whitney Pittman caught up with a Lemoore, North Dakota soybean grower and has this update. Whitney Pittman on the Red River Farm Network in Orlando, Florida at Commodity Classic. We are talking with Casey Bitts, North Dakota Soybean Growers Association. Tell us a little bit about what you're here to talk about and some of the, the big ticket items that you guys are discussing. The big ticket for us is we're always looking at crop insurance. We always 
understand the disasters at our risk. We've dealt with drought in the past couple of years. We've dealt with increase in PP acres, and obviously this winter is going to be concerned too with the increased snowfall around the states. So obviously protecting the different crop disaster programs, understanding what to look forward in the next farm bill, and kind of continue to plan for what's going on the road next. What are some of the, the farm bill type uh, things that you guys are, are working towards? Where are we going to go with this climate direction? There's a lot of pushback from different organizations that could be concerning with conservation practices, making sure it's not tied to the farm bill. We understand that farmers know what to do best for the land. We want to continue to protect that, that not each operation will be able to do a cover crop. They'll have to understand their situation. So, you know, it's such a unique situation for us northern states. Obviously, being in the North Dakota Soybean Growers Association, soybeans are our main focus, but we also are other farmers as well. We grow corn, soybeans, hard red spring wheat, potatoes, canola, all across the board in North Dakota. So we understand that. And going into uh, the rest of Commodity Classic, what are some of the things you're looking forward to with your with your fellow soybean growers, but also other commodities? It's just a diverse group of speakers here this year. I was really just excited with the theme, you know, the next generation. As a young and beginning farmer myself, just continue to look for different platforms to uh, continue to strengthen my voice and kind of continue to learn about the different programs that are out there. And why do you find it important to be a part of this as a, as a young farmer? We need voices in agriculture. Um, it's who's going to tell your story. You need the farmers need to stand up and continue to go to these events, to attend Commodity Classic, to get involved with these Gorger organization boards, either if it's corn, soybean, Farmers Union, Farm Bureau. We need young and beginning farmers, whoever's out there, to step up and be on these boards. And maybe some more specific North Dakota issues here. Anything that uh, was specific? Unique thing was um, just discussion was dropping APH from 10 years to 5 years with diversified crops that we have. It's just a unique situation that we need to continue to look at and be aware of. And final decisions, of course, aren't here yet. Looking for some discussion on a little bit bigger scale coming up. Saturday will be the main event. We'll be able to work with other states as well. We'll kind of see where their policy direction was and what their discussions were in their caucus meetings. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us here today. That is Casey Pitts, North Dakota Soybean Growers Association. Reporting from Orlando, Florida, I'm Whitney Pittman on the Red River Farm Network. Martinson Ag Risk Management President Randy Martinson expects the soybean market to be well supported looking at yesterday's USDA numbers. You know, we'll probably see a little bit of a recovery towards the end of the session as we start, I think, some, some profit taking and some uh, uh, selling that hit the market there just as the market ran up. But overall, it does say that the bean complex is going to continue to be tight in the world and that what we were expecting to be a huge uh, production out of uh, Brazil is slowly starting to uh, decrease because of the, le- the smaller crop that we're seeing in Argentina. And the idea that Brazil's larger production will offset the losses in Argentina is looking a lot less likely. Less and less likely. I mean, yeah, we were talking about a 25 million metric ton uh, uh, increase over the two combined uh, countries uh, at the beginning of the growing season. We're probably closer to five to seven now. And now it's going to come in and it's going to force soybeans to try to encourage more acres in the U.S. because, you know, of the the shorter production estimates coming out of South America. So now it will likely need to buy acres as far as the U.S. is concerned. And the feeder run is winding down in northwestern Minnesota. That's according to Bagley Livestock Auction co-owner Billy Bouchel. You know, we're kind of getting to the end of it now. Uh, because people are starting to calve the last of the... Uh, the calves are coming to town. Uh, 
we're, we're mainly April, May calving people up here, so so we're still, you know, we had uh, last last Thursday, we just about had 2,000, it was like 1,880 yet. So, so it'll, but it'll start tapering down now, uh, and uh, usually April is pretty, pretty light feeder on the scrubs. You're listening to the Red River Farm Network. Welcome to Inside Agriculture on the Red River Farm Network. With spring around the corner, mass bird migration will begin soon. Animal Industry Board South Dakota State Veterinarian Beth Thompson says the threat of highly pathogenic avian influenza will rear its head again. This virus that we have seen beginning in, in 2022 um, has not stopped into 2023. Just recently, Pennsylvania has had a handful of cases, and when I say a handful, I want to say at least five to ten cases within the last couple of weeks, including a couple of large turkey farms. So while viruses, we tend to think in the winter, may go away, this virus has not. And whether that means that our environment has been contaminated to the point that we continue to see infections, or if there's some wild waterfowl that are contributing to the issue. Thompson says the recent weather in the Midwest may have changed the migratory path temporarily, but poultry producers still need to prepare by ensuring biosecurity efforts are increasing. Especially since, you know, we had that outbreak of avian influenza in 2015, a lot of our commercial sites put in a lot more uh, stringent biosecurity measures. In other words, you know, uh, folks that work in one farm wouldn't be traveling to a separate farm to work. They put in areas where as you walk into the barn, you change your boots, you might change your clothing, and then when you go out of the barn, you change back into clothing. Other things is really having an understanding of who's visiting your farm. For backyard flocks, of course, it's always important to keep the wild waterfowl away from your poultry that might be outside. Foreign land ownership discussion is taking place in American Soybean Association meetings this week. South Dakota soybean grower, second vice president Jeff Thompson says it's important not to make language too harsh. Established relationships with certain co countries could be at stake. Resolutions that South Dakota brought forward was dealing with the foreign, own, foreign ownership of, of farmland. And the words that we wanted to bring forward is that... Yes, there is an issue, but we don't want it to be the, to the point that it's affecting us at, on the farm, you know, being so extreme that it affects some of these foreign companies that we do do business with and are very important to our farm economy. And, you know, they are, some of these are very large customers of ours, and we sell a lot of uh, product to them. And, and there's a lot of different countries. It's not just one country. There's a lot of countries. Thompson says proposed legislation was shut down this year in South Dakota. That issue, you know, was brought up in South Dakota state legislature, and it was uh, it it was defeated. You know that the policy that they brought forward was you know a little bit too extreme for everybody, and uh, it was defeated. So, you know, it's an issue. Yeah, we don't like farm ownership, but uh, under. Thanks for joining Red River Farm Network for Country Morning. Stay safe and stay warm.